Hi, let's take a look at a book that calmly, carefully, and convincingly dismantles some of the major claims of Bart Ehrman. That's a quote from Robert Yarborough, Covenant Theological Seminary. This is Gary Zacharias. We're looking at a book uh, this time called Truth in a Culture of Doubt. Uh, Kostenberger and Bach and Chatra are the authors. This is the second time I'm taking a look at it. We talked about God and the problem of evil before. This one, um, I find this fascinating because I love history and I love uh, documents and all being an English major. And this is uh, chapter 5, Are Many New Testament Documents Forged? And so here are some of the claims that they're going to tackle in this chapter. One is the New Testament Gospels aren't, are not historically reliable. And they're actually comparable to other quote-unquote heretical Gospels because they really weren't written by Jesus' companions. Here's another charge. The first disciples were illiterate, and so they couldn't have written uh, parts of the New Testament that were attributed to them. Here's a third claim. Many of the New Testament books weren't written by the authors to whom they were ascribed. They were forged. Well, that's a strong term, huh? They were forged. Number four. Other forms of Christianity are represented in other writings, and they have just as valid a claim to Christianity as those 27 books that we think of as the current New Testament. And then number five, the other charge is the proto-Orthodox. That's what they put in parentheses and quotation marks. The proto-Orthodox used the canon as a weapon to impose their own brand of theology on all forms of Christianity. And then they succeeded by the fourth century because you had a powerful church. So there we go. Those are the charges. And those are pretty serious charges, aren't they? So guess who's going to be in this chapter? Well, you already met the, the man uh, in that comment by Yarbrough. It says, uh, trying to dismantle the claims of Bart Ehrman. And I'm sure you know something about Bart Ehrman. Uh, he's written uh, books that have become extremely popular. And he's a skeptic about Christianity and a skeptic about the Gospels. So here's uh, a passage by Bart Ehrman. He wrote this in 2009. So he says, talking about the Gospels, why are they different from each other? He says they weren't written by Jesus' companion or by companions. They were written decades later by people who didn't know Jesus, who lived in a different country or different countries from Jesus. They didn't know each other. And they had different sources of information. And they modified their stories on the basis of their own understanding of who Jesus was. Wow, that's a pretty hopeless picture, isn't it? But you know, that's that was uh, Ehrman in 2009. The authors also reference a book by Ehrman in 2011, just two years after that previous quote, and here's what they, he has to say. If historians want to know what Jesus said and did, they're more or less constrained to use the New Testament Gospels as their principal sources. It says the Gospel accounts outside the New Testament tend to be later and legendary, of considerable interest in them of themselves, but little use to the historian interested in knowing what happened during Jesus' lifetime. The only real sources available to the historian interested in the life of Jesus are the New Testament Gospels. Isn't that interesting? It's, it, that's a contradiction to what he said before, that you really can't know much about Jesus at all from the original Gospels. And here they said, yeah, you're going to get the clearest information about Jesus from the Gospels. So Ehrman starts off by saying that there was forgery going on in the first century, even more so than today. But it says, you know, if you look at these two uh, illustrations from his works, it says his unwarranted skepticism is there. He, he cries forgery 
when there are a lot of other more likely explanations that are available. And these authors point out that the early church was extremely careful about what it put in the canon and was on the lookout for forgeries. They weren't stupid. They weren't naive. They knew what forgeries looked like, and they were very careful about them. Says, uh, we're talking about uh, Ehrman again here. It says, according to Ehrman, Jesus' disciples were illiterate. They were backwoods peasants. The writing wasn't done by Jesus' disciples or their associates. A lot of it was forged. And so let's go through those claims and see uh, if Ehrman's uh, challenges hold up or not. How about the beginning here? The New Testament Gospels aren't reliable, and they're a lot like other heretical Gospels. They were not written by Jesus' companions. So there you got a lot of distrust that's built up. But they said, you know, Ehrman's argument has a lot of problems. First, he fails to explain why, if the church in the later, you know, like 4th century or so, if they want to use these early church figures to gain acceptance for their documents, why would they choose Matthew, Mark, and Luke? They were obscure figures in early Christianity. If you're just going to make up names, why wouldn't you do somebody besides Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Why wouldn't you pick the big names, maybe a Peter or Andrew or somebody like that? But no, they picked pretty obscure figures. Secondly, they said you know, it's wrong to suppose that a person that has a vested interest is going to be an unreliable witness. I mean, that's really what Ehrman's getting at. Greek and, Greek and Roman historians thought that the ideal witnesses were people who were participants in an event. Then they could use their own experiences to interpret rather than just being dispassionate observers. They also say Ehrman fails to grapple with important contributions in recent scholarship, which challenged the idea that there were not eyewitnesses that wrote the Gospels. And they mentioned one book, and I've uh, got this book, and it's really powerful, it's Richard Bauckham's book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. <clears throat> it has a lot of evidence that these four Gospels that we have today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were based on eyewitness testimony, and you can trust them. So I'm not going to get into that today. I've done a, a podcast on Bauckham's book in the past. It's, a, it's an amazing book. It's a little heavy going in spots, but he just overwhelms the reader with a lot of evidence Look at the title, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. They were written by eyewitnesses. Bauckham, uh, for example, he argues that this current picture, this critical picture we have is unlikely because the eyewitnesses were alive and active in the early church until after the Gospels were written. So they would have been guardians of the tradition. If they'd heard something that didn't happen and wasn't true, they could have put an end to it. So what does Bauckham say? Well, for example, he says, Historians relied as much as they could during this time period on eyewitness testimony. In the Gospels, why do they have four different perspectives? Because four different authors experienced events differently, or they utilized their sources differently. And Bauckham traces um, back to Papias and says he's reliable, and that Papias talks about eyewitnesses and elders who sat at their feet and disciples of the elders. In other words, uh, you have a... Uh, continuation of the same story, person after person after person. Uh, J. Warner Wallace talks about this a lot, uh, where you, let's say you, you pick up a gun at a scene of a crime, and then it's held for several months or years, and anybody who wants to take a look at it has to sign out for it. So you've got this chain of custody, and he says, that's what you get here. Papias, in fact, claims when he was a young man, that'd be like the 80s A.D., Many members of the three generations were still alive, including eyewitnesses. So you have eyewitnesses, people who sat at their feet, 
and then disciples of those people. And uh, Bauckham also argues that the names in the Gospels themselves are very accurate to what were, what were popular names during this time period. So I'll move along, but I just want you to think about how important Bauckham is to this part of the book, that you can trust that eyewitnesses were involved in the writing of the Gospels. Um, so I'm going to skip over some of that. No, we'll skip over Bauckham. There's a lot of stuff here on Bauckham. But anyway, it says Ehrman never engages or even footnotes these kinds of arguments that uh, Bauckham talks about concerning eyewitness testimony. And then the question is, didn't he read Bauckham's work that was published in 2006? Is he unaware of its existence? And they said Ehrman over and over again will make a claim, but he fails to mention that his is not necessarily the only position. In fact, it's probably not the primary position. So it says Ehrman does not give a complete picture of what some of the best scholarship and not even necessarily evangelical scholarship, but not the best, what the best scholarship is saying. Okay, let's go to claim two. The first disciples were illiterate, so they couldn't have written the Gospels. It says, really? It says literacy and education, those things were important to first century Jews. They're promoted for boys starting about ages six or seven. And Ben Witherington talks about this. They uh, quote him. He says, first of all, fishermen are not peasants. They were businessmen. They had to have a scribe or had to read and write a little bit to deal with tax collectors. And if Jesus had Matthew with him and others who were tax collectors as disciples, they were literate. They were not peasants. So they said that's a real caricature, caricature to suggest that Jesus' disciples were all a bunch of illiterate peasants. Um, in an oral culture, by the way, as they point out, all you have to be able to do is to dictate to somebody else. And then that person can write it down. So were they illiterate? Probably not. As says, uh, you could have secretaries at this time period to put oral Greek into written forms of communication if you needed that kind of help. And in fact, it says there's a probability that Paul, for example, did use secretaries and even Peter. They've got Ehrman admitting virtually all the problems with what have been cause, calling forgeries can be solved as secretaries were heavily involved in the composition of the early Christian writings. Isn't that interesting? I mean, th think about that again. Let's just pause for a second here. So Ehrman claims these things were forged because the gospel writers were too illiterate to have written this material. But then he even says, well, you can toss everything I've said out the window if, if they had secretaries. Is it, I mean, I don't get it. Why, why would he make the claim if it can be so easily refuted? All right, how about uh, claim number three? Many of the New Testament books weren't written by the authors. They were forged, not, not the authors that uh, were noted, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he casts aspersions on these traditional authorships that were given uh, because he said there were a lot of forgeries back then. And he dismisses all sorts of external trad traditions. He contradicts his own arguments. He minimizes the idea of secretaries, and he talks about so much conflict and diversity in the early church, but none of that stuff is, is supported at all. So I'm going to skip over claim three because they get very specific why, for example, the first Peter book, first Peter, why that is called forged by Ehrman, but why it's probably not. Uh, second Peter, was that forged? No, they have another uh, explanation for that. How about Second the Thessalonians? That's a charge that Ehrman makes as being forged. No, they have reasons to support why that's not the case. Now, these things are, are pretty detailed, so I'm going to skip over them. 
test case number four, Paul didn't write Ephesians. Oh, really? And they explain why it's probable that he wrote Ephesians. Uh, let's go to claim four. Other forms of Christianity are represented in other writings, and they're just as valid as the 27 books we have today. So basically, what's Ehrman saying that um, there's no way to distinguish between the books that are in the New Testament and the ones that got excluded. They, says, they say across the theological spectrum, almost all scholars agree that the materials representing the divergent forms of Christianity, you know, the Apocrypha, the, the false documents, they're from the second and third centuries. They're old. They're absolutely old. We have to remember that. So none of those apocryphal gospels were even considered for inclusion in the New Testament canon. And it says the majority of scholars agree that most, if not all, the New Testament documents were done by the end of the first century. So here you've got this gap of time before these fake um, gospels come along. It says strong evidence exists that you can trust the claims of the New Testament writings to be from an apostle or somebody connected to an apostle and based or and or based on eyewitness testimony. So that's pretty powerful. Okay, so I'm going to skip. Uh, now, I might just stop for a second here. Let's pick one of these uh, oddball books from the 2nd or 3rd century. Let's do the Gospel of Thomas. It has 114 sayings of Jesus, and some of them are pretty strange, but some do sound like what Jesus said. And uh, the, the catch is they're very different than the New Testament Gospels. They don't have a storyline. They don't have any account of Jesus' birth, death, or resurrection. And most people believe, says the broad consensus, is that Thomas was written late 2nd century, a lot later than the canonical Gospels. As says many times in there, the Gospel of Thomas appears to be dependent on New Testament material. So he goes through, uh, they, there are three authors here, they go through several of these Gospels and show you why uh, you can uh, pretty well bet that they have nothing to do with the life of Jesus written so late. Here's claim number five, that the ones who are going to be the Orthodox, the ones who are going to run the, the church later, use the canon as a weapon to impose their own brand of theology, and finally succeeded in the fourth century. So they said, you know, Ehrman leaves the wrong impression with readers, suggesting that the Christian canon is just a political tool. It was a kind of a power grab by the people in charge. And it says, actually, the main thrust of the canon was recognized way before Orthodox Christians got any kind of political power. It said, if you take, for example, the Muratorian canon, which was written around 180 AD, it's got a list of the books. And it said there were a couple of uh, debates regarding Second Peter, Second and Third John, James, and Jude, but the core was really well established by the middle of the second century. It says uh, church leaders, early church leaders like Irenaeus. He says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were included, and that was all. That was the only four that were included for the Gospels. And one, they quote one person here, John Barton, who says, Astonishing early, the great central core of the present New Testament was already being treated as the main authoritative source for Christians. There's little to suggest there were any serious controversies about the synoptics, that'd be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or any of the major letters of Paul. So there we go. Uh, Ehrman's got it wrong there. So way earlier than the 4th century, the church did limit the canon to books from the apostolic time. So as a summary, they point out that 
that 27 book to New Testament, that canon, uh, getting it universally recognized was a lengthy process, but it wasn't a weapon used by the church to stamp out legitimate diversity. That's not true at all. So that's pretty much the end of the chapter, and I will end at this point. But a, a powerful book, it goes into depth that uh, you and I uh, might not know enough about, so it's really helpful that way. These are good authors, and uh, they, they have a lot of good things to say about why we can trust the Bible, especially the New Testament, and especially the Gospels, more so than a guy like Ehrman would lead you to believe. So Ehrman's a good scholar, and he will say a lot of truthful things, and then he'll leave, he won't lie, but he'll leave out a lot of evidence that would challenge his perspective. So uh, I hope you got something out of that, and uh, thank you. Let's do another podcast soon.